And we're back for another week on the National Fire Radio podcast. I'm not going to take up too much of your time, but this week, the week of May 22nd, 2023, it's Terry's birthday. My wife misses National Fire Radio. She'll probably hate that I even said that, but she doesn't listen to this anyway. So uh, I'm taking that day and enjoying time with her. She deserves it. She puts up with all my crap, all my travel, and all the podcasts we do and everything else in between. So I am spending the day with her, rightfully so. But this week is all new uh, episodes with fantastic guests, including a new episode from Pip from The Size Up. So hang on this week. We appreciate the support. Like, share, subscribe on the channels in which you listen. We appreciate the support, and as you fill out, uh, you know, subscribe or share or leave some comments, it helps us in the ratings, and of course, ratings help push us up the line and get more followers and listeners, and we appreciate all of that, and that's how we build the community. So, we appreciate you being here with us. Please give my sponsors and the people that trust us with their message a few minutes of your time before we roll into the daily episode. Thanks for tuning in. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. Hey guys, before we start the podcast, real quick, I want to mention the Gone to Texas Fire Forum and Expo being held in Arlington, Texas on June 9th and 10th. Myself, I'm going to be emceeing the event for two days with nationally renowned speakers that will be there for the weekend. Mo Davis, Clyde Gordon, Rick George, Mickey Farrell, Jacob Johnson, Dennis Riley, and so on. The list goes on and on. I was there last year, helped emcee the event last year. It is a growing conference in an incredible venue globe life field which is home to the texas rangers in arlington texas right in the entertainment district right at the pbr bar which we're going to have a social after the first night i'm telling you right now there's no other venue like this the room actually overlooks the field you get to walk the stadium it is such a cool venue arlington texas june 9th and 10th check them out go on to texasfireforum.com or go to facebook and look them up there too go on the texas fire forum where you can buy your tickets get great hotel rates if anybody's asking you where you're going this summer you tell them go on to texas this episode's brought to you by taylor's tins taylor and her crew at taylor's tins have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017 with over 200,000 tins in the market they are a leader in the helmet front space Custom design, one-offs to department orders. They can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours. Customer service is what they pride themselves on, and they provide nothing but top-shelf product and service to their customers. Check them out at taylorstins.com and check out their full line of product offering. They've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the National Fire Radio podcast and platform, and Taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours, and we appreciate the support. And at checkout, for a little extra bonus, use coupon code NFR sent me. That's NFR sent me for a discount on your order. Exclusions do apply. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com for the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. Hey everyone, Jeremy National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the podcast. Today is going to be fun. It's another brother I know absolutely nothing about other than the last four-minute conversation I had with him leading up to the show, but that's why and how I like to do this. I like to learn about our guests as we go, just like the audience does, because I think it makes for a much more natural and organic conversation. Today, 25 years in a fire service, 17 years with the city of Philadelphia, 10 years Special Operations Command with Squad 72. Welcome to the show, Jeff Eckert. How are you, brother? 
Very good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. This is cool. So mutual friend introduced us, said, you got to get to know this guy. I said, well, let's go. Like, I love when guys that I like and respect pass along a name and said, hey, I think this guy would be really good for you. I think he's got a good message. I think he'd make for a good conversation. He's got some good stories. I absolutely love it because then what happens is, is like, I really don't have the time to call and talk to you for an hour and send me an email. Here's a, here's a list of questions that we're going to talk about. I don't care about any of that. Like, I just like having conversations. And I think a lot of the success of the podcast is very much that it's just an organic conversation between two guys and I'm getting to know you and you're getting to know me. And I think it makes for just a genuine conversation. So that's what we're doing today, man. It was fun to just get a, a couple, a uh, couple of key clips from you before we started just about who you are and, and, uh, and where you are. Uh, but give me a little background, man. 25 years in a fire service, 17 in Philly, and 10 in the squad company. Uh, I know your passion is about the squad. I know your passion about being a fireman. Uh, it's certainly something that stands out. As well as, uh, it should be said too, you and a buddy of yours have a training company, Philly Tin Helmet Training, um, and so on. And we'll go down that road too. But kind of the backstory, man. Give me a give me a little bit of background about how this all came to be. I mean, uh, firefighting? In the blood? Not in the blood? Well, it, it's funny, uh no one before me was a firefighter in my family. I was the first one, but now I have two cousins Hello. And in the fire service. And my cousin, Jay, he is actually at Squad 47 in South Philadelphia on the same schedule as me, which is pretty funny. That's cool. You ever get to see him? Uh, rarely, rarely. Yeah. Only maybe during training. If, if there's something big where all three SOC companies in Philadelphia are at, it's your talking, you know, natural disaster type thing or, you know, something big. Yeah, like real big. Philly's got what two squad companies and then the heavy rescue. Is that how that works? That's how that works. Uh, initially, I think they wanted all rescues. The chiefs at the time said no, so they went with some squads because we do everything. We still do alarm systems. We still do the medical runs, as well as all the special operations stuff. So, so you guys, are, so you guys are still a, an engine company, but with enhanced capabilities, right? So it's like first, second, first, second, do you're doing engine company work? Anything outside of that, you're probably doing whatever needs to be done. Exactly. Yep. Depends what they want. Anything from ventilation, search and rescue, both. So uh, we so, go on every vehicle extrication. We go on the water rescues. We do trench rescue. We do hazmat. Sounds uh, like a really good place to be. It's fun. It keeps you busy. <laughs> it keeps you, it's very fun. I bet it is, man. But it also, too, companies like that, companies like that bring in a certain type of guy, right? Or girl, right? Like just a, a certain type of firefighter, right? Like you're, it, it truly is. And I, I firmly believe this, that special companies like that weed out the, the, the subpar or the, the, the mediocrity that, that runs rampant the fire service. And it, it boosts up people that want to be there and be bigger and better and make themselves better. No? Uh, you're 100% correct. Uh, what we say is the SOC class, it's not just getting through the training. Anyone can get through the training. Like, right. Whenever a new SOC class comes up and someone asks me how to prepare, I tell them, like, yo, man, this isn't Bud's training. You know what I mean? You're not going to be a Navy SEAL after this. But, you know, yeah, come physically fit. It's all about how deep you could push. But we're also looking for people that we want to work with in these companies. Yeah. And we we have a say on who we take. So just because you graduate a SOC class doesn't mean you're going to a company. And that keeps it really, really great inside the firehouse because a big problem you see, and I'm this is all over the country, I'm sure, you get some new guy from the fire academy that comes. And you didn't have a choice. He just gets assigned there because there was an opening. 
and now he's a big ASA or she's an ASA or cry baby. They don't do this. They don't do that. And then the problems start from there. We don't have any of those problems because we select each person individually who we want. And there's something to be said for that because the type of work you're doing, I mean, your day in and day out work is probably typical engine company work, right? So it's like any other company. But when you do get called upon to get into the water or go into a trench or into a collapse or anything that's more involved, the level of trust and camaraderie that has to be there, it, it, it can't be questioned. You're 100% right there. Everything that, so different uh, positions on the truck depends on where you're sitting. Mm. So if you're driving that day, you were also the rig master means you're rigging all our uh, high angle rescue stuff. Right. I have to trust that guy that he knows what he's doing rigging because if I'm setting up my own stuff, I might not have a chance. And, you know, other guys double check stuff, you know, like any rope rescue. Of course. But ultimately, I'm trusting him 100% that he knows what he's doing because we train together. We're all on the same page and we train the same way. He's not doing some, you know, different way that I'm not familiar with. We have set ways that we do for each incident. So it just goes that much smoother. And it should be said too, right, is like that whole culture aspect of it, right, where you're, you're looking for a lot of the similar and same personality types, if you will, when it comes to training and internal push and, and drive, right, because we're not sitting still, right? Like you guys are constantly training, you're constantly pushing yourselves to be better, you're pushing one another to be better, and so you just need that certain type of person to be in that company, and I think that's why a lot of the sock companies across the country really find the cream of the crop of the job that find their way there um, because it's a good place to be. Uh, in my opinion, it's the best place to be. Yeah. Uh, but he, here's here's also the problem. I say this to a lot of guys. Uh, the good thing with sock is that you get great guys every time in a sock company. The bad thing with sock, especially here in Philadelphia, I don't know how anyone else does it where they're at, mm. is a lot of great guys do not get in. Got it. And I mean, I know some really, really fantastic out of this world firemen who just could not get in to the sock training in general because they might take 30 people. And like I know when I applied, 500 guys applied and 32 wow. of us got in. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, a lot of great guys were left, you know, sitting out and sometimes they get bitter about that. Sometimes they don't. But it doesn't make them any less of, you know, great firemen. They just don't get that extra training and never get to make it to an actual sock company. Yeah, but you know what, though? But those guys still get to be in a place where they're affecting change and making, you know, if they're that good of a fireman, right? You know, we still need excellent firemen on the trucks, and we need excellent firemen in the engines, right? Because, like, those are the guys that are taking that time and, pu and, and pushing forward their abilities and knowledge to the next generation, too. And if we're plucking out all the very best people out of all these companies and putting them all into one place, we don't get a fair representation across the board then of the very best, right? And so I, I think in some ways, you know, the the uh, the limited the limited spaces in a sock company, um, it needs to be there because you don't you can't take everyone, but you also need to value the importance of that thirty year backstep, you know, truck company senior guy who can force any door or roll up or roof or, you know what I'm saying? Like we still need that in every other position as well. I, you're absolutely right. And especially when I first got to a sock company, you know, I only had seven years on when I went to squad 72, that's not a lot of time. And there was times I was on roofs of uh, like a, a one is in, a, in particular, uh, a real big church fire. And the roof was, it was just a really nasty roof, super, super steep. And I was a little flustered. And I looked to one of the senior guys on the ladder there who I've known since I got on. And I said, 
yo man like what do we do here what yeah you know what i mean like, yeah 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 for what's sure what's the plan because you know just just because you're a special operations guy doesn't mean you have the most experience and a lot of guys need to realize that like hey man there's guys with 30 years on that have been fighting fires since 1989 you know they they have a lot more experience than you ever will you know make sure you tap into that well and it takes self-awareness, right? You and I were talking about that before, before we hit the record button. Like, self-awareness is a big thing that is lacking in the job more than ever, right? We have people in positions that probably don't belong in those positions. But the thing is, is that they don't have their own self-awareness about it to know that they don't belong there. They think they do. And then all of a sudden, it's like, it's time to it's time to go. It's showtime. It's game time. And then all of a sudden, they don't have the game that they thought they had. That's That's an issue. It's a absolute huge issue, and what I what I hate seeing with those uh, type of people is that for one, they're not tapping into the resources they have. They can have like a legend, yes, but they're not going to treat them like such. And they're just going to, hey, I'm in charge. You're going to do what I say. And most of these old time legends that like there's very few left now because you know everyone's leaving, like you know due to retirement, they won't say nothing. They'll just sit there like, okay. You don't want to hear what I have to say, no problem. And they'll watch that guy fail. But then the problem is, like you said, with the self-awareness, that person can't admit that he failed and say he's sorry. And then, hey, man, what can I do to fix this? What does he do? He tries to blame it back on his guys well, that's or it. make excuses. You know, it's you, easier you, to you point the that. finger. You know, you, it's easier to point the finger at someone else than yourself. And that's yeah, just, 100%. you know, not just on a fire ground, but in life. And And I think that's what I think that is a problem in today's fire service. Um, I think that we need to teach self-awareness. I think we need to teach the process and that the process takes time. Um, I don't think people realize the importance of longevity in this job. Um, and I think that that's part of it. Now for you, you've been riding 10 years backwards at the squad, right? And you're a fireman. And, and yes. right now, you know, regardless of what your future looks like, you enjoy being a fireman. That's all I've ever wanted to be. And I have, uh, when people ask me, you know, hey, man, you know, you should take the test. You know, you got some time on, you got some experience. You know, you should be a lieutenant. I just kid, no, no, I don't, I'm good, you know. And it's fun, too, because within the SOC community, people think because I'm in there, I have all this knowledge and fiscal information. Like, there was a rumor that we were getting a rescue, two here. So I had chiefs coming to me when I would see them. out, like, hey, man, what's up with rescue, two? And I'm like, chief, I'm just a fireman. Like, yeah. I still clean toilets at the firehouse. That's right. I'm still sweeping. So unless my captain's on the phone discussing the fiscal matters while I'm cleaning his office, I'm not privy to that conversation. And I'm totally fine with that. I just want to fight fire and have fun. Yeah. But there's something to be said for that, right? Like what I, I don't, I'm not going to ask you like personally, like why don't you want to promote? But like you made a comment to me earlier, which stuck with me. I actually wrote it down and you said that, you know, Firefighting is one of those jobs where you can stay at an entry-level position but be valued as one of the most important people in the fire department, right? Absolutely. Talk to me a little bit about that. I, I've never heard anybody put it that way before. You're the first one that I've ever heard put it in that regard. You know, we talk about senior guys, and we were just talking about it before, how important it is to still have that backstep 30-year guy. And, and there's no doubt the value they bring is unbelievable. But I've never heard it put that way that they're still at an entry level position within the fire service. And yet they're the most regarded. They most times those guys that retire as backstep firemen after 30, 40 years, 25 years, whatever it is, they're regarded as some of the best of the job. 
and they didn't promote, and they didn't move up the line, and they're not wearing, you know, gold, and they're not wearing white shirts. Why is that? I just think because majority of people, when, you know, you talk to them about being a firefighter, they look at it, and I know I do, as a calling mm. rather than a job. You know, no one just decided one day, like, yeah, you know, uh, I don't like my job. I think I'll give this firefighting thing. It's right just for a paycheck. That's all I ever wanted to do. Uh, and most people were like that. Now, whether whatever came down in life where, where that made you want to promote, become a lieutenant, captain, chief, whatever, you still wanted to be a fireman. Yes, you're still and, a fireman. Hey, a lot of a lot of guys lose track of that. Oh, I've promoted yeah. up. I'm not a fire. I'm a chief. <laughs> you're yeah. still a freaking fireman, man. You're still yeah. a fireman. I love watching white hats pick up a line and help move it because they're standing there and they're seeing a struggle. And then Absolutely. I've seen and then I've seen chiefs step over the freaking lines too. You got them all, but you know they all started as firemen. Yes. So, and push comes to shove, we all still live together too. Like you know, I like the that. captain is in the same firehouse with us. The chiefs are in the same firehouse with us. So ultimately, you're still sitting around a kitchen table together, you know, talking shit, smoking and joking. And uh, it just, you know, hey, man, I might be a lieutenant. You know, I get a little bit more money than you. But, you know, his responsibility is all the BS that no one wants to deal with anyway. Like when we're hanging out as firemen after dinner, cleaning up, whatever, he's in there typing away after yeah. a fire. You know, that's silly stuff. So it doesn't necessarily make you a better fireman being promoted. It's just a little bit more, you know, responsibility on the paperwork end and all that stuff. And, you know, now you got some guys on the, you got to deal with uh, so-and-so was late or this guy's having a problem but. Ultimately, everyone just wanted to be a fireman. So when a person just says, you know what, I'm going to fight fire, someone that's, you know, 60 years old, still going in first with that tip in their hand and putting that fire out, you got you to gotta love that. You do. And, and I think the other part of it, too, I think you're very much right when you say it's a calling and it's, you know, this and that. But the other thing I think, too, is it's a craft. Like, you, firefighting is such a long game. And if you want to get good at it, it takes time and it takes experience and the only way you can get experience is with time right you can go train yeah. you can hit every training ground go through the most realistic training in the world i mean i was just at fdtn um right before fdic we stopped over i met jim mccormack and and, and saw what he's doing there and it's unbelievable you want to talk it's probably some of the most realistic fire training in the country that you can get that is very similar to real life operations but it's still controlled in a way and and Absolutely. so you know, you can go to the most training and get the best training out there, and that is a form of experience, but it's not the fire ground experience. It's not the rush and adrenaline of getting dressed, getting on the rig, turning the corner, seeing the smoke, stretching out, getting obstacles thrown at you, having to call an audible, like all these things that go into it. That's really where experience is honed and shaped, and that takes time. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Uh, so before I became a Philly farm, like, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I was an eight year federal farm. Yeah. How many dwelling fires do you think I fought in eight years I, on an air cruise base? I'm going to say probably not a lot. I'm going to say zero. Yeah. So eight years of quote unquote, you know, experience. My first fire in Philadelphia, right out of the academy, went for five alarms. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm actually going to talk about this when I speak at the end of the job symposium. This is one of the things I want to touch on. I was 100% clueless. Now, coming as from another you know, department, eight years, I didn't know jack shit. Mm. I did everything wrong. I was so exhausted that actually at one point I was thinking, 
maybe I'm not cut out for this because <laughs> no one else was as tired as I was. I was 26 years old, like meathead. I was like, what, what is going on? I, I was in shock. Yeah. And one of the chiefs said to me at the end, he goes, yo kid, you absolutely suck. And I was crushed. Yeah. But then he, but then he sort of laughed. He goes, don't worry about it. You're supposed to suck. That's right. You're, and then guys went in to show me what I was doing wrong and how I could be. And it was life changing. But that experience from then changed the way I was fighting fire, which now, you know, now it's just another day, you know. But you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And, and you had the self-awareness to recognize that, you know, holy shit, my ass is dragging here. What am I doing wrong? Right. Yes. Like, you know, there's a lot of people that would try to cover that up. Right. I mean, oh, there's, 100%. yeah, 100%. but think about the value of that conversation afterwards. And then the willingness of those guys around you to say, Hey kid, let me show you, this is what the job's all about. Right. Like, let me show you how we do it here in Philadelphia. The problem yep. is, is a lot of people with eight years in the fire service have quite a chip on their shoulder and they might not have been to any structural fires. And so the problem is they take that eight year chip and they really start writing checks against that. And, man, that be right. that becomes a very dangerous situation. You know, I, I credit that a lot to my father. Uh, yeah, talk about that. I love it. And and he was in the trades. And well, was he a carpenter? He was a carpenter. And, yeah. you know, in Philadelphia, that's a pretty tough trade, especially, like, getting in there in the 70s like, sure. up as, as an apprentice. And he also always said there was this old man who treated his apprentices like shit. Mm. but not my dad. He never treated my dad bad. And later, like years later, after the guy died, someone said that guy absolutely loved my father because my dad never said, I know. Mm. He said, whenever he speaks, even if you know, shut up and listen, because it might be a, a different way. Uh, my silence is because I'm writing that down. So don't, don't mind me. Hang on. This is no. what I do during a podcast. I sometimes take notes. I never used to, but now I do because, man, I talk to great people with great things to say. Never said I know. I, I God, I think that that is very powerful when you unpack that, man. And, and even if you do, because then that person's, you know, even if that person found out that you already knew it, but you gave them the courtesy to listen to what yes. they had to say. God, that goes I a long they're way. They're going to go above. Like, you know what? This kid gets it. Like, I'll show him anything he wants to see because he'll listen to me as opposed to like, yeah, I got it. Now I'm good. And, you know, one of the other things too, just, I, I always mention the new guys, like don't go in there acting like, you know, stuff, especially if you don't, because then guys want to see you fail. If you come in like, listen, man, I don't need you to show me how to work that pump. I'm the man. I don't need you to show me where to go in this run. And then you blow that run and can't get water on that fire. Guys love it. They're like, you big mouth little piece of shit. That's what you get. But if you go in there humble saying, listen, I'm not very good with making these type of runs. I've never driven a fire truck before doing 50 miles an hour to Philadelphia. Can you give me some help? Well, they're going to expect you to make mistakes. And if you make mistakes, they're going to be like, don't worry about it, dude. You're brand new at this. We'll get you there because you came in humble like that. But if you come in that cocky jerk, they're going to, they want you to fail. They want to see you fail. There's there's very much something to be said for that. No doubt. No doubt. I I, I think about all the, the people that I get to call friends these days, and I go to conferences with them, and there's some of the, you know, very powerful names in the industry, people that have made big strides in innovation within this industry, and I call them friends. And then I sit at a conference, and after these guys are done teaching, 
a room of 300. They then sit down in the front row with their own notebook and start taking notes on the next guy speaking. And I go, holy shit. These guys have been here in this industry for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, sharing mm-hmm. knowledge and experience, and yet they're still sitting in the front row taking notes. There's something sure. to be said for that. They didn't need to sit there because they probably know 99% of what's being spoken by the next guy. Yeah. And yet they're not living it that way. They're not they're not throwing it down that way. They're saying, "No, I'm still a student. I'm still here to learn." And anybody that walks in with that chip on their shoulder, man, good night. Get out. Like we we don't need that. We don't want that. That's it. Cuz that person's already thinking I'm as good as I could ever be when really you're you suck. 100%. One of, the man. Things that, one of the things I always try to say, I'm actually going to mention this is another thing I'm mentioning the, the whole speech I'm doing into the job thing is going to I'm doing all the mistakes I made. And this for, is the you know, this things. just to say, this is the into the job symposium, right? That's coming up what next month, I think, or two months? August, August right? Yeah. And, and that's the one where Lexington or that is in Wichita, Kansas. Wichita. That's the original, right? Then I think they did one in yes. Lexington. Uh, Isaac Frazier's uh, yeah. event. That's cool, man. They pack them in there too, bro. I've heard nothing but incredible things about that conference. Yeah, I'm nervous as hell. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's okay, and, man. You're supposed to be, right? It's like we, walking we in the firehouse. Yeah, yeah. We joked about that you know, before when you know when Isaac called me and I'm like, hey, man, you, 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 got, you want Bobby Eckert like this. I'm, I'm not him. You That's got the hilar- wrong Eckert. That is hilarious. That's, yeah, and, that's uh, very like, funny. Oh, no, 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 no. Which again, I, I, I couldn't even tell you how he got my number. So, yeah. But one of the things I, I, I try to say is, you know, be a forever student. I am a forever student. Mm. I still take classes on my own. And it was funny. Uh, I went and it was about a two and a half hour drive up the mountains. I did a, a class from blue collar training network on heavy vehicle lifting. And those guys were, they were awesome. And I mean, that was probably one of the best classes I've ever taken. Nice. Uh, but they were like, oh man, you know, you're a Philadelphia special operations guy. Me and my partner Gabe Sales both went. They're like, you came all the way up here for this class? Like, yeah. It's like, that's crazy. I'm like, why? You know, I heard nothing but great things about this class and I'm a student like anyone else. You know, I want to get better. And they taught me stuff in that class that I had no idea you could do with lifting. That's cool. And that's the benefit of it, right? I mean, you, you never stop learning here. This episode's brought to you by Teledyne FLIR. Teledyne FLIR is the originator and creator of thermal imaging technology. In 2013, FLIR launched the K-Series camera for the public safety sector, in particular firefighting. They have created cameras over the last 10 years for every position on the fire ground. From tactical to situational, their cameras help us make the right decisions on the fire ground. So check out Teledyne FLIR, check out their product offerings, and engage them on their social media and ask them for more information and education in regards to their product. Teledyne FLIR is producing one of the best cameras on the market, and they're a proud sponsor and partner of the National Fire Radio Podcast. So go over to www.fleer.com and look up the public safety file, and you'll find the latest offerings from Teledyne FLIR. What What I love about that is the ability to go do that. You did it on your own time. You want to better yourself, right? And then you bring it back. And what's great is when you're in a company of like minded people, those people thrive on that. Right. 100%. But so many people go to these external training events trying to better themselves. They come back to their fire department and the fire department is full of mediocrity. And they just they're just like, sorry, we're not interested, kid. 
Like, we don't care that you did this on your own time. It's not important. And, man, that's frustrating. That yes, is frustrating. Is. Especially when they're not good, too. You know, we've had all kinds of people, like, you know, where we would go out and train within the fire department. And the attitude that yeah. we would get. Yeah. You know, the eye rolls and stuff. Like yeah. That. You know, I'd be doing, let's just say, a forced entry demonstration. And majority of the guys are into it. They want to learn some ideas. Sure. But then there's a person, you know, with his arms crossed, leaning against the wall, not paying attention. And, you know, I'll just ignore them till it's their turn and they can't do it. Yeah. That's, and I'll just take, you know, little, little jabs like, oh man, you know, I, I thought you'd have this man with all your experience, you know, stuff like that. But of course, you're not going to pay attention and then you can't do it. Well, you're worthless to me. That's that slice of humble pie, man. But the, the problem is with guys like that is everybody knows who they are. Right. And, yeah. and they're on the fire ground and they hide on the fire ground and they're not the guy that we put in the bar position. They're not the guy we put in an important position. But the problem is, is departments that have staffing can hide people like that. Departments that don't have the numbers, departments that don't have you know, a, a five, four, five, six man engine or truck company, it's hard to hide people. And we need, that right. we need maximum proficiency out of everyone on that fire ground. And when somebody sucks and we know it, where do you put them? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the, you know, I, I, I say to some of the guys in the classes I teach, you know, the bigger department, the bigger problems. Yeah. Just because the department's big doesn't mean it's good. Yeah. I, yes. Yep. You know, and I, I know, and I know other instructors like great guy Devin Craig. You know, guys like that. Like you know, they come from smaller departments, and every dude on their truck is a stud because they demand it, and and they can because it's a small department where like Philadelphia has three thousand members, I believe. You know, you got people. You you'll go your whole career without meeting guys, and you're like, wait, you're who? You're from where? Yeah. You're what? You know, and it is what it is, and all we can control is what's in our company. But then. In my opinion, one of the worst things that happen to any fire department is uh, human resources. Where do you take all your hurt feelings? So, you know, I, now you somebody. I get it, man. I, I get it. And I, I think that's always a fun conversation, too, right? I mean, you know, I'm yeah. sitting here learning about you as we go. And it's like, you know, 17 years in the Philadelphia Fire Department, you're a fireman. That's where you're happy, where you want to be. You came in at a time where guys didn't really talk about their feelings and didn't run the HR when something was wrong. You handled it in-house, in company. And, um, you know, times have changed a little bit, but I still think we need I still think we need that that informal leadership at the firehouse still, and, and we can't get away from that. I, I like to say uh, I was very blessed because the group that came in with me, we were like the last – of this generation mm. to be broken in by the true old breed. Okay. Like the guys that were the Vietnam vets. Yeah. Like fighting fires in the seventies, you know, where they went to like five, six jobs a night when just the cities were burning down. And every city had those times, every city. And even like small towns had those years where everything was just burning. Yeah. And these guys didn't give two shits, whether they hurt your feelings or not. And you know, I'm 26, this guy's 60, and he could still kick my ass. So there was nothing I could do about it anyway. I love that. You I know? love that. I might, listen, man, I have the same feeling about my father. He's 80 years old. He's going to be 81 this year, and he can still kick my ass. I guarantee it. You know what I mean? There's yeah, just this like exactly. profound respect I have for him in that generation. And um, yep. I love that. I absolutely love that. We need that. We need to have that like unfiltered respect for, for those that were before us. And um and so on. We need and and we need to value them more than ever now. I think. 
it's it's what's there. That's what you have now is what you have. You know, uh, quick story. I was so back to like being the new guy and learning. Yeah, we had a job a couple of weeks ago, and there was this guy. Uh, he's at a very busy company, but he's on the engine. And me and him ended up in this basement pulling ceilings, and he didn't have a hook, so he didn't know how to pull ceilings. So I'm showing him how, and he's pulling them wrong, just like I did when I was new. He's pulling them back, so all the plaster drywall's falling on his head. Right. So I said, listen, bud, you know, let me show you something. If you don't, and I always ask, can I show you something? Because yeah. if they say no, then I'll never show them anything again. Right. And they said, yeah, sure. I said, pull ceilings like this. This way, everything falls in front of you. You're not pulling anything on the guys behind you or on your head, especially if there's fire in there, blah, 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 blah. And I said, you know, I, I used to, and I always tell them, I used to do it wrong. So one of the old guys grabbed me and said, kid, what are you doing? You're, you know, you're going to kill yourself pulling ceilings like this. You're going to hurt somebody. And he just looks at me and goes, no, Jeff, like you're the old guy now. And that was like a kick in the head. Like, holy shit. You know, here I am, you know, 44 years old now, like gray hair. And like, you know, it, it shocked me a little bit because I don't feel old physically, but in this guy's eyes, who has a year on, I'm a dinosaur. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I was just like, holy cow, man. Like it was a blink of an eye that this was 2006 when I was getting shown. And it just doesn't seem that it's 2023 now. It, it, it's amazing. I love, though, your steward of, of what you learned, right? So, like, you know, you were talking about being a student of the game and all that, but, like, even just on the fire ground, it's like those little tips and tricks and hacks that we talk about on National Fire Radio a lot, but those little tips like that that were passed on to you, you're now passing it on to that next generation, and, like, that's invaluable because, you know what? That guy that said, yeah, man, show me something. I want to learn. He's going to take that and he's going to now share it with somebody else. That's how you have infectious change in the fire service. That's how we educate informally. I love it. We need that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Man. Speaking, you know, on, I, I, speaking I, on hooking ceilings and real quick with plaster and lath, explain it because there might be some people here right now that don't know what you're talking about. So your traditional hook, you guys might call it a pipe pole. We call it a hook. If you're hooking it towards you, like you have it hooked and then you're pulling it towards your body, towards your face. Right. Well, that drywall is going to break behind your head, and it's going to come crashing down on your head. Yes. And if it's on fire or this and that, you're going to get burned. You're going to have the embers go down your neck because, you know, everything. So if you turn it the other way, extend your arms out a little bit, pull away from you going forward, you know. And also, like, you know, if there's an engine company that you're trying to push into, like, a bedroom, start at the bedroom door and start opening your way towards the window. This way you're not pulling nothing on the engine guy's head. Now, I see that happen all the time, and those guys get burned on their backs and necks lot because you get a new guy who doesn't have a full ceiling and when you're pulling it that way with the engine pushing in behind you you're opening up for them to get to it that's exactly why you're doing yeah. it that's right. the whole reason you're in here you open it up they knock it down boom yeah and and it, yeah i mean that's cool that, that's it's a fun little you know tip and it's like that comes with experience and knowledge and uh, you know uh repetition going to fires and educating and understanding that. And I'm sure that there's going to be people listening to this episode. that are like, Oh, that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, it's, absolutely. It's so and you know, when you're talking, you know, plaster too, you know, your plaster ceiling comes down on your head. You do that once or twice, you know, you really don't want to do that again. Cause no. your neck is going to wrench. Yeah, exactly. No, I get that completely. Talk to me a little bit about where this all comes from. We kind of like in the first two minutes of the podcast, we we were starting to go down that road and then we just went in a whole different direction. But I want to get back to that a little bit because you had mentioned early on, you have two cousins that have gotten on the job since you, but you were the first in the family to yes. to get into the fire service. Where's that come from? Was it something you just stumbled across? 
So uh, back in, uh, geez, this had to be like 94, 95, uh, a big warehouse caught on fire in my neighborhood. Uh, kids from the neighborhood actually lit it up. So are you a Philly kid? I'm a Philly kid. Got raised. it. Cool. So, uh, I mean, this had to be at least five alarms going. And uh, I'm just down there on Tarsdale Avenue watching this fire. And actually a wall collapsed on a bunch of them. Mm. And uh, the guys are coming up the street with the firefighters that were injured on stretchers. And I mean, it was out of a movie. It was absolutely out of a movie, everything that was going on. Right. And I was just like, I got to get in on this. You know, like, this is it. This is, and everything I've done since then has to be to get to where I am right now. Does that imagery of that day still stick with you? 100%. I can see it right now talking. Yeah. 100%. I can see the guys pushing them up in the stretchers. The guys that went down, this whole wall fell right on, brick wall. It's it's pretty wild when I talk to people, and a lot of guys know their hook. Like, they know that moment in time when they were like, this moment to me is when I realized this was what I wanted to do. Yeah. I think it's pretty powerful, man. And the fact that you can still visualize that and that still pushes you, because I have to believe in, in a situation like that back in the you know mid-90s like that, right? I mean, I joined the fire service in 95 myself, so I'm just a couple years older than you. Um mm-hmm. But I remember certain things in my childhood with my father. I remember chasing the fire trucks on my bicycle. I remember watching the local building supply, like the lumber yard, burn in my town. And my father was up on a second floor roof. And I'm a little kid watching my father with a long coat, no hood, no air pack, disappear into a window off the roof on the second floor. And his freaking place is blazing away. And it's like those moments stick with me. And I really credit that to why and who I am today with firefighting. And it was those moments in my childhood that just fired me up about the job. I mean, it's just literally something about it just hooks me. And I still, I don't know about you. I'm sure you do. But 46 years old, I'm almost 30 years, 29 years in a fire service now. I'm so hooked on it that I still every day get excited about it and talk about it. Well, there's something, you know. There's something you said wherever you see. Now, I'm not a big pitcher's guy on fires. If we do it, I like to be inside. You know, you don't want to be standing outside posing in front of the truck. No, I get that. Yeah, of course. But it happens. You know, we have we have buffs that come up and take our pictures. Sure. But if you look at every picture, pretty much from any fireman after a fire, they're all smiling. Yes. Because you absolutely love it. And, you know, there's times, you know, we're slow. And I'm guilty of this, too. You know, you're living in the same firehouse. You know, my firehouse is getting pretty cramped, too. We have uh, an ambulance. So we have an EMT and a medic there. We have an ES officer, which is a paramedic officer. And then the squad runs with four firefighters and one officer. And if it's slow and we're just not doing anything, you know, I start looking at these guys like, I hate your face right now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, look what your brother's like. Yeah, I get it. about you is annoying me. Right, right. Leave me alone. <clears throat> but after a fire, you're like skipping around. Yeah. Everyone's laughing. Everyone's having a good time. You're cleaning the tools together, which, you know, we're, hey, man, you know, we're going to start a little larger washing. Well, yeah, man, you know, it, it, it's the best. Yeah. And it, you can't beat it. Like, you want to go to work and you want to get a fire. You don't want to see people lose their belongings and all that, but you you want to earn your pet. Brother, um, fires are going to happen. I just want to be there. It's not my, you know what I mean? That was the big push for me going into the special operations. It wasn't that I looked at them being like everyone in stock is better than anyone else. That's not the case at all. It was, I want to be a part of everything as much as possible. I don't want to miss a single incident. Yeah. 
which yeah. that offers me that opportunity. You know, hey, Stone's going in the water pool. I'm there. Hey, Stone's going over a bridge. I'm there. Do you find do you find that the opportunities that are given through sock drive like it's the individual you are, meaning like you need that push and always trying to do more and be better? Because I think yeah. sock offers those opportunities to those type of people, right? Those self motivators, those people that want to perfect the craft, if you will, right? I mean, there's a lot of opportunity there to do better and be better, right? Everyone in sock is an alpha male. Bottom line, like, you know, yeah. you get to a firehouse today. You, I'll tell you what, you want to see some nasty arguments? Like, come, come sit when we're training, and if someone has a new idea, <laughs> and the other guy doesn't like it. Because everyone's an alpha, and it's like, you know, next yeah. thing you know, he's like, I'm going to rig your neck. Yeah. You know, yep. Because most of our ideas will work. It's just, eh, we like this one better. But because you're an alpha, you're kind of like, well, I, you know, it should be my way. But, yeah, uh, the opportunities that being in sock has given me, uh, and a lot of it wasn't even earned yet. You know, uh, getting into teaching on the side, which I used to work for a training company here in Philadelphia called MedTech. They do confined space rescue. I ended up being one of their instructors for the ropes because I was a sock guy, you know, and it, uh, I just looked at that as paid training. I got to train guys on ropes, but hey, I got my hands on ropes every day and I got pretty proficient with making rope systems. But if I wasn't in sock, they probably wouldn't offer me that opportunity. Yeah, you know mm -hmm. whether it's earned or not, <clears throat> and at that point, it definitely wasn't earned. I didn't have some reputation as some you know balls at the wall fireman. It was like, hey, he must be good because he's there. When you know, reality, I could have been a bum, and they wouldn't have known. Yeah, at, at least at first, you know what I mean. Uh, for sure. I mean, you know, hey man, we got to make our legacy, right? It's it's uh, you know, you make a name for yourself in this in this business, regardless, right? And uh, whatever you want that to look like and reflect upon the name on your coat, uh, it's up to you, right? That's when you leave this fire department, all you had is your reputation. Yeah. You know, there's guys that's been, they've been retired 10 years and someone brings up their name and you're like, you know, that guy was a stud. He was a legend. And you, know, you don't even know where he is right now. And then you have the other guys who are like, oh, that dude was a total loser. Yeah. You know, big ass ache, yada, 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 coward, whatever. So, you know, reputation's everything. Yeah. Let me ask you with the, with the squad company, right? So being, um, I don't know if you're a senior firefighter there, but I mean, I got to believe that, you know, uh, you know, 10 years riding backwards there probably puts you up in the in the list a little bit of. But I got to believe, too, that a company like that has some longevity in it, guys with some years in, no? I am. So I've been there 10 years. Three of us went there when I went there. Okay. I am nowhere near the senior man. Okay. So, so the youngest guys on, on our – we have four platoons here in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. C and D. The A platoon just got two guys from the last Sox class, which was about two years ago. And they are the youngest guys now. They have like 10 years on each. Everyone else is minimum 15 years or over 20. So that's what I was kind of thinking, right? As far So, right. So then I'm curious about the dynamics of that, right? Because this is a whole different conversation than your traditional engine and truck company where probies are coming in from probie school and so on. You're getting guys from across the city from different companies that are now went through the training and then they arrive in when you guys have an opening. Right. Yes. And uh, and then they come in and you have your own culture there and you might have guys coming in that, um, well, they've been doing it a while and they got their ways about themselves. Right. How yes. do, how's that mesh? Like what? You know, you always think about you said the guys in the, the guys in the company are mostly alphas. Right. But do yes. a lot of the mentality of the guy coming into the company new. Is it like the, a new chapter, a new part of the career where they have to check what they know? and allow themselves to be humble at a, at a point of 
expecting or understanding the expectations of the new company. Like that's got to be challenging at times. Absolutely. Uh, so someone like me, I came from the ladder in Southwest Philadelphia. Now I am in, for lack of a better way of saying it, North Philadelphia. It's not quite, I mean, it's, it's a neighborhood called Logan, but it's no, the North side of the city. Right. I had to learn an entire new local. Mm. I had to learn to be more proficient with the engine, not to mention a, a squad going all over the city, all the equipment, its uses, the A truck, all the equipment in there, its uses, and then how exactly we do things on the deeper tube. There's a million ways you can bring a rope system, but hey, for this particular rope system, we're going to do do it this way. That's why we're on the same page. So it absolutely humbled you to the point where the stress was happening. I mean, it was the first time I ever started after work at night, like coming home and having beers because I was like, I am mentally fried from these days. And then the run volume when I got there was ridiculous, you know, just going from run to run to run to run, you know, 15 runs a night. And, and a lot of it's, you know, the, the medical runs or the accident responses and stuff like that. But you definitely have to humble yourself because you're not going to make it. You need everyone else's help there to get good. And back to what I said earlier, if you came in as, you know, a cocky uh, guy and no one wants to help you, you're probably not going to make it. Yeah. But yeah. also we have that selection. So now that there's an opening, right, you made it through sock class. You're interested in coming to an opening in Squad 72, and this goes the same for Rescue 1 and Squad 47. You do a two-week ride-along there, and in those two weeks, the guys on your platoon are evaluating you whether they want you or not. Yeah. So uh, and a lot of hurt feelings happen because that person is now, you know, when they get told, no, we didn't pick you, you know, and you understand it, like, wow, they just – liked someone better than me and that that's got to hurt a little bit yeah it's an ego shot man no doubt big time yeah so you also have that to worry about so you better come in there the right way but i love that process like so so many places don't have those i mean that's still like an old school process if you think about it right it's like that informal blackball like hey man thanks for coming we appreciate the effort but you didn't you don't you don't fit so thanks thanks maybe next time you know what i mean Mm-hmm. That is yep. that, you know, you talked about HR before, right? It's like, you know, that's where people get really, you know, there's a lot of sensitivity in the job today, you know, and uh, yep. that's a hell of an ego shot when you don't, you know, you make it as far as being able to get the training and then get, then get the opportunity. And then it's like, sorry, man, <laughs> like just doesn't, it's not working. Exactly. And, and I understand it, you know, because they're all good firemen. Right. A hundred percent. Right. Through there, they're all good firemen. It just came down to more personality, I think. Yeah. So now, you know, you can't even say, you know, oh, all right, I can, I can up my firemen game or something like that. Like, it's just like, man, they just didn't like me, like, which, which isn't the case. Everyone's pretty much liked, but they might, hey, man, whole fit better than that other person would. Wow. And that that's is, it. that's gotta be, that's gotta be a kick in the gut. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit then about Philly Tin Helmet Training, man. I, right, so, uh, like, where did where did this all come about? I mean, did you always have a passion? Obviously, you were talking about it before going to seek external training and so on. So training's important to you, especially coming from a sock company where you guys probably only, you know, other than going on runs, you're probably training unbelievably a lot. So, like, is that where it stems from, like, the, the push to be better? Yeah. Uh, so back to when I was teaching at that company, MedTex, you know, I just looked at that as paid training. Like, hey, all right, you know, they're paying me. They weren't paying me much money, but I'm, I'm playing with ropes all day, and I'm just getting better, and I'm getting paid. So I always feel uh, by teaching, 
it keeps you sharp because you don't want to look stupid if you show up to do a class. It gets you back in the books a little bit more. You know, you're, you're really honing that edge because, hey, if I'm going to show some guys something, I better know what I'm talking about. So uh, Mike Heaney out of Austin, I don't know if uh, you're familiar with Mike, but uh, he's a Philly guy. No. He's from Philadelphia. Okay. He was working for a training company in Philly one day out of the blue. Like, hey, dude, I need help. Well, we need an extra guy for this heavy vehicle lifting class. Are you interested in doing it? Yeah, no problem. You know, he's over in Jersey, took a quick ride, helped him out. Next thing you know, I kind of got brought in the fold. And uh, I started working for Task Force One and doing some classes. I started meeting guys. And uh, me and my partner, Gabe Sales, were just sitting in an airport bar down in Charlotte one day. Like, we got to do our own thing. You know, this way we can control what we teach, you know, what uh, – how many instructors we can bring and it'll be ours. You know, there was things I liked. There was things I didn't like, you know, working for some of these other companies. So sure. this way, you know, we're the boss. We can say what we want to do. And just sitting there too. We didn't, I didn't get like Philadelphia is just such an untapped resource of experience with some of the old chiefs and retirees that are around. These guys are, you hear their stories and just how many fires they went to. Like, we have a wealth of possible instructors like, hey, man, you're retired now. You know, you're not doing nothing. Do you want to come with me? You know, and I'm just going to like to New Jersey and teach a class on ladders. You know what I mean? Give them something to do. And they love that because they're kind of brought back into the fold a little bit, get to talk about the job and keep continuing to share their experience. Yeah, I keep going, man. I mean, I, I love this. I mean, that's that's what it's about. I mean, God, when you can when you can harness the power of the guys that helped you along the way, and exactly. then get them back into the fold. I mean, they get excited. These guys, when they, most people when they leave this job, career volunteer. I don't care. Once you're a fireman, you're a fireman. And most people when they leave or step away, they miss it. They miss oh, it hard. Yeah. And. Back to like what you said earlier about like, you know, guys sticking around with a lot of time on that squad 72 It's because it's like a frat house for lack of a better way of putting it. Like they don't want to leave that. Just what happens at the kitchen table. That's right. You know, across like when, when the D platoon comes in tonight, I got work tonight. The B platoon is going to sit there for at least an hour, you know, bullshitting with us. And, I, you know, firefighting is the number one profession in the world where people show up early to work. Yep. I don't have to be on duty officially to eight o'clock at night. You know what time I'm going to get to work today? Tell me. About four thirty. Damn. And I'm going to laugh my ass off from the time I get in that station to the time I leave tomorrow. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just enjoy every second of it. You know, I'm, I'm not. I would never, ever in a million years wait to eight o'clock to come in and make someone sit there if they had to go or what. No way. Never in a million years would I ever do that. But just the fact of being there, you know, it's it's where I belong. Well, and that's, I mean, that's huge, right? That's, that is, uh, that's because it's a, a place that you want to be, right? Like, you know, listen, there's, there's a lot of people on the other side of the fence that can't wait to get out of the firehouse because it sucks so bad. Absolutely. Yep. And, and, and we have them in Philadelphia. <laughs> there's bad stations, you yeah. know, or there's bad platoons in a certain station, you know, whatever. And, you know, it, it comes down to personality. Yes. That's what I love about my – I will never have that again unless I transfer to, like, Rescue One or Squad 47. Right. Where we get to handpick each person that comes in. Well, that's and, it. And that's a big thing, too. Guys are like, oh, well, you should make lieutenant. And I'm like, why? So I can go to engine wherever and not get the who I had and possibly not like the people I work with. And now I'm just sitting in the office all day hiding from them because we don't get along. It's not the same job. 
it's not the same job. It's yep. not. Yeah. I agree with you. So where does the name come from? Philly Tin Helmet. Did you guys, did Philadelphia used to run Tin Helmets? Yes, we did. And I actually have one that was given to me uh, when I was transferred out of Ladder 4 to Squad 72. The guys presented me with a tin helmet. Very cool. And that's what the old school guys used to wear. And uh, Philadelphia is still very old school in its ways. And, uh, you know, uh, guys aren't going to agree with it. And I understand. And, you know, like uh, we don't wear packs to the roof, you know. Some people might, you know, and I have, but majority of time guys don't wear an air packs to the roof. You know, it is what it is. You know, eventually that'll change. But just tactics, old school, aggressive tactics. Uh, and just, you know, with so many instructors I wanted to hopefully bring along with your experience. I mean, just astronomical time. Like if we come to a class, you know, even if it's just me and my partner, you're getting roughly 50 years of experience right there between the two of us. And yeah. I still look at us as new guys. Yeah. As opposed to if I can scoop up, you know, some of the guys at the end, if there's some of the people I consider mentors on this job who want to come, you know, it, it'll be like in the hundreds of years. Yeah. Uh, so, but that's where we got the name Philly Tin Helmet from. I love it. I mean, I don't know. <clears throat> I'm kind of a history guy. I mean, I'm not great at history, you know, but I enjoy it. And I, you know, when I saw the name pop up Philly Tin Helmet and I was like, all right, that's cool. Like, I want to so know, I want to know more about it. You know what I mean? Well, check out the book. It's called Tin Helmets, Iron Men. And it's about the Philadelphia Fire Department. Yes. I've heard of that. I don't have yeah. it though. Tin, tin helmets, Iron Men, right? Yes, sir. That's cool. I like it. It's a big book with lots of pictures, so I've seen. It. <laughs> That's my kind of book, man. Uh huh. That's my Absolutely. kind of book. I love pictures for sure. So, so that's cool. So, what's next for you, man? You you're starting to get yourself out there a little bit. You, um, your partner Gabe, right, with the with the training company. You guys yep. are starting to get yourselves out there a little bit more. I've seen your name pop up on social media a little bit more. Um, you're going to be speaking at Into the Job conference in August. Um, I think you're doing first in also with Ryan McCormick, right? I think that one's, yes. yep. So yep. talk to me a little bit about that process for you. Is it comfortable to start putting yourself out there? Or is it kind of weird? Like, uh, It's a little tricky, you know, with the networking and stuff because uh, no one's really heard of us. Yeah. You know, so we're just reaching out. Um, we had a couple people who liked us from previous classes, and once they found out, we start our own company had reached out to us. Good. Like, Hey, you started your own company. Hey, I want to hire you and Gabe because they like this from something else. Like, okay. You know, and we're not going to scout from any other company that we ever work for. So I, w I didn't even reach out to them. They heard through the grapevine. And uh, let that, right now we're trying to get locally um, working on a class here uh, in one of the counties outside of Philly for a Rick class. we got a Rick class scheduled in Indiana, uh, a Rick class scheduled in, uh, Western Pennsylvania. So Good. things are starting to take off. And then also with Ryan McCormick working with him. And we've been working with Ryan now, geez, for like six years. We go to we go to Arkansas probably once or twice a year just to see Ryan and work with him. And oh, that's nice. that's my Good. goal. Great dude. Gotten to gotten to know him. Uh, met him at FDIC this year face to face this year, but uh, we've spoken many times prior to that. Um, just a genuinely nice guy. Um, good guy. So uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's a good connection for sure. So, well, that's fun, man. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot ahead of you. And um, I think that, you know, with your experience and pedigree, I think you bring a lot to the table, bro. I really do. We're trying, you know. And, again, I'm constantly a student. You know, I'm always looking for classes to take. Uh, one of the things I also try to do, uh, the one conference I went to with Ryan's, he asked us if we could stay for two weeks. And it was Little Rock. We stayed for two weeks straight teaching every day. Mm. And every day I had, like, if not every day, Certain days I had a break, like, hey, 
not enough guys came today or whatever. Uh, I would go and take one of the classes from the other instructors. Cool. Like Chris Kelly, for example, from Houston right. is a fantastic instructor. And I went and did his roof class. Uh, Chris Pabua from Houston, same thing. I went and took his roof class. Um, Christian Short out of Baltimore, he was doing a Van Enter search class. I went and took that class with him and John Shackford and Sean, and Sean Duffy, where I first met Sean Duffy. And uh, I took their classes if I didn't have a class. And then they all kind of did the same thing. So, you yeah. know, I, had, I, I wanted to learn. And I picked up, like, I never did a dice cut in my life because we have more flat roofs here in Philadelphia. So they were showing the dice cut. And I was like, dude, can I get up here and cut some holes? What do you mean by, so listen, I'm going to be a student right now. What do you mean by dice cut? I might know it's something different. What What's dice cut? So they call it the dice cut. It's for pitch roofs where uh, you run your saw across the top. Right. Uh, below the ridge beam. Right. And then you just start cutting down in between the joists. Right. Right. Okay. And then once that roof just starts falling in, they just knock them right in. Got it. Okay. So it's I mean, very, yeah. very fast, very efficient. Uh, yeah. They call I've, that the dice cut. Okay. Never heard of it called that before, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, we cut peak roofs all day long here. So yeah, I get it. Okay. All right, cool. So this is exciting, man. I, you know, the one thing that I get to do with this podcast, which is fun is, you know, with our reach, you know, we get to educate people about who other people are and, and the, the joys of this show for me are taking guys that are, that are, I believe have a great message and a, and a, a you know, giving back to this, you know, community uh, is important to me. And so, man, I was glad to share that with you today. I think that you got, I really, really enjoyed our conversation. And, uh, I did too. Thank you, Jeremy. Yeah, Thank man, this was, more. this was awesome, man. I'm, I'm excited to see what the future looks like for you and, and your partner, Gabe, um, with Philly tin helmet training, as well as your own career in Philadelphia, man. I mean, it's, uh, it's fun to talk to a senior fireman and in your case, you're not even a senior fireman in your house, but you know, nope. 17 years on the job in Philly puts you in that category. I mean, you know, but there's still a lot of experience ahead of you, which is so cool. And you're still sitting back and learning from them. And I just, that's awesome, man. And that's, I think the message of today is to continue to be a student. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you joining me. What a great conversation today, brother. Appreciate you. Anytime. I really appreciate it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, of course. So good luck with uh, Into the Job. Good luck with telling your story. Uh, I know you said you're a little bit nervous, but you'll do fine, man. You'll knock it out of the park and um, just stay authentic and genuine and, uh, you know, share your love for this job. And it's going to be infectious, man. So thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Stay right where you are. Oh, if people want to find you, reach out to you. Is there an email or somewhere they can find you? Yeah, they can email us at phillytin at gmail. Uh, we're also on Instagram, uh, philly-tin-helmet-training, and Facebook as well. I love it, man. Good. Thank you for sharing that. So if anybody listening wants to reach out, please feel free to do that. Um, Jeff Eckert, thank you for joining me today, pal. Stay right where you are, and I'm just going to sign off the podcast. I'll come right back to you, okay? Hang on. You got it, Jeff. Great. Everyone, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Jeff Eckert. 17 years with the Philadelphia Fire Department, 10 years of squad, st squad 72, excuse me. What a great story today. Good conversation. Stay a student of the fire service and keep making this job better. And uh, do me a favor, like Jeff's going into work three and a half hours early tonight, do the same and go talk about the job because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.